Hi, I'm Megan Baker. This is Influence Her, produced by Baker Public Relations. On this next episode of Influence Her, we welcome Assemblywoman Mary Beth Welsh. As the Assistant Minority Leader Pro Tempore, New York State Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh knows it takes a lot of hard work and a bit of negotiation to get things done. What sparked your interest in politics? Well, my, my brother, my oldest brother, ran unsuccessfully for the assembly back when I was in high school. And I remember stuffing envelopes. And I don't know, I just was interested then. Um, my whole family, growing up in Colony, we all worked for the town of Colony. We all, you know, my brothers worked uh, recreation and highway. I had jobs at town hall. So I was always interested in government more than really politics. And then I, I did major in political science okay. at University of Rochester. But I never really worked on campaigns or anything like that. And then I ended up going to law school. So I kind of, my, my career has always been kind of that, those two pieces, the, um, the law and then um, serving at, at local government. So when I moved to Burnt Hills about 25 years ago, I was just curious. I thought maybe I'd be a town judge. So I put my name in to the hat to fill in for a town judge that had passed away. And I didn't get it. And that was my first introduction to politics because I didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. I was new to town. So joined the Republican committee, started to get involved, very grassroots. And then they started asking me. And then for a few years, I just kind of said yes. So they said, alternate position on the zoning board. Yes. You know, <laughs> position on the planning board. Yes. And then I served on the town board and I served for eight years. And I would have been happy just doing that. That was fine. I just was always curious about my community and how things were going and what, what, is, what are they clearing that lot for? What's going in there? And it was more born from that kind of curiosity. But then people started calling me after Hugh Farley had announced his retirement. And I knew that Jim Tedisco was going to be running for that open seat. He'd been waiting for, for a long time. And a couple of people called me and they said, you know, Mary Beth, I think you'd really enjoy being an assembly member. You ought to think about it. And they weren't just women who called me. It was um, they were men calling me saying, I think that you would be really good. I think you should consider it. And I'm really glad that I did. And seven years later, here I am, really loving my work. So you serve the 112th Assembly District. Right. What was that campaign like? Um, and then obviously successful campaign since 2016. It, the first campaign was very difficult because I had a primary and that I'm I'm still trying to pay myself back for the money that I loaned my campaign when I first ran. It was really expensive. The, the um, candidate who ran against me had not gotten the endorsement of the Saratoga County Republican Committee, but he, was, he felt he should have. He had previously run unsuccessfully for Congress against Paul Tonko and felt like he was, I think he felt like he was kind of owed. So he uh, was very upset that he didn't get the endorsement decide to run a primary, that was the hardest part of that race. And once I got to the general election, I was fine. Mm -hmm. But that was, that was tough because there, there were a lot of things. I, I, was, uh, they, I was being defined in a way that I didn't think really accurately reflected who I was or what I thought. So I had to spend a lot of money and really just literally wore out the shoes getting around. And I, you know, I won with a good margin, mm -hmm. but that, you know, I always run with that in the back of my mind, I think, mm -hmm. because that I, I had a tough race the first time I ran mm -hmm. for town board because uh, there was a huge issue with a Walmart super center and 
uh, the idea of how Walston was going to grow. And so I was used to a hard race. I only won that race by seven votes. So I, I'm accustomed to, you know, a harder race. But uh, once I got through the primary for the assembly, everything kind of fell into place. I didn't have an opponent two years later for my first reelection. And then since then, I've had two opponents. So. So what would you say uh, make up the components of really a successful campaign? Is it the grassroots? Is it the fundraising combination? Oh, it's, it's all of that. I think you have to figure out, based on your district, who are the key people in each of the towns or villages in your district or cities, I guess, but I don't have a city. And you have to reach out to those people. So, for example, I just went through a redistricting and I picked up the town of Perth, just a small town in Fulton County. I don't know it. I've driven through it. I don't really know it. So I reached out to a contact that I have that's nearby. And he came up with a list for me of the top, you know, 150 voters that I really want to reach out to. I'm doing personal letters to every one of them. And I'm going to try to hold office hours in Perth. I'm going to try to uh, do a meet and greet. Um, this fall, hopefully. And, you know, you really have to reach out to those people because as we saw yesterday with the primaries that were held, mm-hmm. um, there's just a handful of people that really come out sometimes in primaries and even sometimes in general elections in some of these small towns. So you've got to reach those people. That fundraising is important. You can't get your message out without it. We know that the Assembly and the Senate now has done, um, uh, they've imported the idea from the city of public financing of campaigns. So that's going to be kind of a game changer. If you can get enough grassroots support, you can get just a huge number in matching funds. And, you know, I don't want to take it as a Republican. I don't want to touch it. But, you know, I, I also want to qualify for it because I think that it might potentially scare off some competition. So fundraising is really important. And I think I don't want to overgeneralize, but I think speaking for myself, that was something that I wasn't comfortable with mm-hmm. when I first it's started. Tough. It's not easy. I'm a lot more comfortable yeah. now because I know how good it feels to open up that post office box and see that I'm getting support at from $20 up. Mm-hmm. And because um, every, every dollar counts. The dollars count in, in the ability to get your message out, mm-hmm. but it also counts if, those, if that's a person that's in your district, you can be pretty sure that you're going to have their support when it comes to going to vote. So it's building, building, building that kind of support. That's what's so key, however you do it. What do you think is holding other women back who might have, um, you know, might be aspiring to enter into politics? Do you think it's like what's happening nationally and what has? Um, What is your opinion? I have a couple of thoughts. So I've thought about it a lot because of starting Women on the Rise, Mm -hmm. which I I hope that we'll get to. But I think um, women overall, the women I know, they like to get in and fix problems. They want to be part of a solution. And I'm in the minority. I think some women find it hard to believe that they can be impactful in the minority. And that's a big part of the education that I try to bring as we recruit candidates, that that you can, that you can make a difference. And you're just going about it a different way. I think that because women are fixers, they tend to look at politics generally as kind of a dirty game mm. that they don't want to get involved in. A lot it's of mudslinging. Yeah, they'd rather be in the PTA. And what they don't realize is that the PTA is also dirty politics. <laughs> it is. I have six kids. I know. I know. And I think when I talk to women, I try to emphasize that this is public service that we're doing. This you're serving your community. You're just doing your community just got a little bit bigger. Maybe you're not at the town level or at the village level. You're you're working at a state level. But you're really, it's public service, not 
politics necessarily. You have to use politics in order to get where you're going, but that's not what it's all about. And I think some of the most successful women that I've met who are doing what I do see it that way. And I think that that's, I think that if women really thought about it that way, more might be willing to kind of dip, dip their toe in. And let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, your push and, and getting out there to really get more women involved. Well, it's critical. I mean, I'm, I'm one of 48 members of the Republican Conference in the Assembly, and I'm one of three women. And it used to be, there used to be more, and, and there aren't any more. And I've, I've thought really hard about why that is and how we can, how we can fix that. The, the Democrats have record numbers of women on their side of the aisle. So what is it? And is it just what's happening in the recruitment process? What's happening at the grassroots level? Are we getting enough women coming up through the Republican committees, through the women's Republican clubs? So I'm really out there. And we need to run women in races that are winnable. Mm -hmm. We can't just throw a woman in to a race where she's going to be. I mean, women will generally do about, I don't know, around six points better, uh, all other things being equal. Um, so... Putting a woman on the ticket is a smart move, but we have to put women into races that they can win, like my race. I, I was in a very winnable district for Republicans. Now, that's changed over time. It's gotten definitely more purple in southern Saratoga County and blue in some places in Clifton Park and Half Moon. So I need to you know work harder in those areas. But um, there, I I'm in a winnable district, and we need to find women that are willing to step in. And you know, I don't know how to say this in a, in a nice way, but um, we need to find women who I want to find women that I want to serve with. I want to find women that are not just out grasping, grasping, climbing, climbing, but really just do want to serve and do good work, you know? And so sometimes the women I meet that are very, in very interested in politics are I don't know. I don't really necessarily want to serve with them. I'm looking for like kind of normal people that just want to serve their communities and aren't necessarily out for Congress or up, 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 you know, there, there's definitely the a role. Yeah, yeah. Work for the constituents. And I think that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of honor in that, in that role. And I think women will be there to do it. But um, I think that one of the reasons I wanted to do Women on the Rise with the mm -hmm. full support of Will Barkley as our minority leader, this is something he and I talked about even before he became leader. It was something that we, we found embarrassing in our own conference and want, to, and want to change. So last year, we had six women. We had just rolled out Women on the Rise, but we endorsed six women. And um, one woman, Kate Luciani, who mm -hmm. was running for that open seat down around um, West Point, she came, I think it was, I think it was eight votes that she lost by. And Very it was nice. a heartbreaker. It was a heartbreaker because she was, you know, young, energetic mom with kids, putting it all together. And for her first time really running, she did so, so well. And the, there were issues, I don't want to get in the weeds, but there were issues why she, she didn't win. Um, in terms of block voting that um, the Orthodox community in that area uh, block voted Democrat because Joe Biden came to town and kind of promised them everything. Um, and they did. They usually split their vote up, but they didn't this time. And even with that 2,000 vote deficit from that block voting, she still came within 
you know, single digits of winning. So I'm really hoping that Kate might run again and or women like her. So that's what we're, so that was an encouraging first year. Now we're trying to try to fundraise so that we can support the woman financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but also what I really love the best about the race last year was we were just in a big texting string, uh, string together, strand of the women who were all endorsed and myself and just encouraging each other, you know, I was hit with this issue at the door, you know, how did you handle mm-hmm. that? Or what, you know, things that other women can answer for other women that isn't really necessarily part of the, the committee structure that's available right now. So that, I love that. And we all did. We, and we were all really encouraging of each other. And we did, for example, a Zoom uh, meeting early on in the campaign about, you know, how do you do an interview? Mm-hmm. How do you go on the record, off the record? How do you frame issues in a way that's going to get your message across? Things like that that we, you know, you just don't know. A man, man or a woman in a, in a, as a beginning candidate. So I, I just really look, I'm really excited about trying to move that idea forward. And each year it's going to get better. Who is one um, female uh, political leader that you admire? Well, she's not a political leader, um, but um, Sandra Day O'Connor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was going through uh, University of Rochester and then going through law school and knowing that she was there on the Supreme Court. And I recently read her book first. And just the way that she approached her career, I think, is is a real model for me. And, you know, I, I would be wrong if I didn't mention my mom, too. <laughs> my mom, who is not a... Po- who says that she doesn't like politics at all, but she really does. So I always enjoy talking about politics with her. What is um, one piece of advice that you can share um, with maybe someone out there who is considering, um, whether it's running for PTA or uh, for a town board um, position or something even greater? What's one piece of advice you can offer? I have so much advice. I I mean, I would say um, reach out and speak with uh, other women who are in office and, and have those cups of coffee and get to know them and, and ask for more detailed advice. Explain your situation. I think what I want to just say the most, though, is it's achievable. Mm-hmm. It's achievable. And the fact that you look at my conference and see only three women is not reflective of the fact that there are opportunities that are there and that it's just really rewarding. And so, dip, you know, lean into it. Lean into it. It's, it's, it is achievable. And, um, but also pick your races mm-hmm. and understand. But I have two women who are on my staff um, up at my district office right now, both running um, this fall. And I'd like to think in part it's because they've seen, you know, as ugly as it can be sometimes. Uh, I mean, my schedule isn't pretty and sometimes the way I get it done isn't very pretty, but they've seen it happen. And I think, um, you know, one is unopposed, the other is in a very competitive race. And I think just kind of talking through the realities of, you know, maybe this won't be your year. Maybe um, you get started. Maybe you, you kind of get your feet under you and start to race. And then the next time you'll be, in, you'll be better positioned. It, you may not win your first time that you're out. That's just a reality as well. I, I did. I, I'm very unusual in that I have not lost a race yet, and I'm looking for wood to knock on. But, you know, there's an old saying that the harder I work, the luckier I get. And it is a lot of hard work, but it is achievable. It's achievable if you're young and you have children. It's achievable if you are retired and just have more to give. So at any stage of, of your life, there's a place for you in this kind of a role. So don't ever count it out. 
One um, final question for you. Um, there are a number of resources where women um, can, you know, look to to really educate themselves on public policy, such as the League of Women Voters. Um, what else is there for people? I mean, that's more, you know, nonpartisan. But if you're really looking to truly understand, are there other resources that they can turn to that you would recommend? That's a great question. I think it really depends on what level of office. So, if say if you wanted to run for the New York State Assembly or Senate. I think one thing that might be really helpful would be to to friend and follow on social media um, members who would be in, in your party who are already in office and see how they're messaging. You know, uh, follow the Republican conference in the um, uh, in the Senate. Follow Rob Ort. Follow Will Barclay, and then you'll see their um, press releases that they're putting out as things are occurring. You'll see what those big issues are. I think you want to get on um, uh, Empire Report. You want to read that mm -hmm. probably every day, see what they're, uh, what, what they're flagging, Capital Confidential. You want, to, you want to flag those and read, and then that way you can be educated on what the big issues are that are coming up or that have just been decided. And then think about where you stand on right. those issues and then how you want to message, or if you don't want to message on certain things. Great advice. Yeah. Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, representing the 112th Assembly District. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This has been great.